This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Hello and welcome to another episode of Over Under Movies, the podcast in which we pick an overrated movie and an underrated movie. It's similar in tone, style, genre, or however we may say fit, and we discuss them. I'm Ryan Oliver. This is Octay Ege Kozak. And I'm Eric McClanahan. And this week, uh, they're Eric's picks. And we have two We have two uh, East Asian revenge thrillers, uh, one of them um, by a very influential director and the other one from a very strong up-and-coming director. Um, that film is A Bittersweet Life by Kim Ji-Woon, but we're not going to start with that movie. Uh, we're, in fact, going to start with John Woo's The Killer. So to say that John Woo is an influential director on international action cinema would be an understatement. Uh, with his 1986 film, A Better Tomorrow, he sort of like reinvented it was safe to say what an action movie could do um, coming up with his own unique style of, um, you know, what people would refer to as gun fu, uh, intense gunfights, uh, slow motion, uh, ultimately doves uh, as comes into play in the killer. Um, but the killer is the film that uh, most people saw. It was his like crossover hit and most people in America saw it. Uh, first, and a lot of people love this movie, but Eric, you, uh, I believe in a text message when we were deciding what our next movies would be, uh, oh. described it as, quote, uh, creaky as fuck. Uh, so, so why don't you, uh, tell us, uh, why this movie is overrated and quote unquote creaky as fuck. Damn it. I was hoping you guys would forget that text message. Um, uh, well, uh, I have, I can answer it. Uh, I can answer that question. I was, when I, when I, you know, had this idea to, it sprung, uh, in an opposite fashion from how it normally goes for me. Normally I think of the underrated movie first and then try to figure out an overrated one that fits. But in this case, I've always kind of thought the killer was a little overrated. And I want to stress before I explain why is that I do still think the killer is, uh, a good if not at times great action movie uh the opening scene is still so so fantastic and the the gun fu as ryan alluded to the stuff that john Wu really made his own through his influences which i we got to talk about Wu's influences but um it, it comes through and and there are a lot of like still really fantastic action scenes in the killer however uh when i saw it in a packed theater at the hollywood theater here in portland it's this uh, sort of repertory house that'll show old action films like this a lot on 35 millimeter and here was a double feature of the killer and hard-boiled saw them both and um 
something that occurred to me with that screening of the killer, which came first was that like this audience doesn't play as well to modern audience. Like a lot of people were laughing at the movie and a lot Mm. of it was sort of the, the kind that I think will frustrate people that are fans of the killer that even though uh, I think some fans can acknowledge that this film is pretty cheesy, you know, at times. And that's part of John Woo's thing. And um, something I almost have to retcon from that text where I said it was creaky as fuck is I still stand by that. But mostly my issues with the killer stand is um, now of giving it another watch just recently here is like there's still some great stuff in it. But the movie is so tonally all over the place. Mm-hmm. And um, really, it's interesting comparing these two movies and the only the real um connective way to look at them for me uh watching both of these movies a bittersweet life and the killer is that one is like the cold clinical slick modern sort of style pretty cynical and nihilistic whereas the killer the the earlier film that's definitely an influence on kim ji-woon in a bittersweet life but the killer is this like it's all heart you know john woo is all emotion and it's not logic with him and i i can appreciate that but i do think like it just it's so erratic in the killer and it's totally all over the place that those are where my biggest issues stem that like, while there's these amazing action scenes that do hold up, I think he perfected it later on his sort of goofy heart on his sleeve emotion and these amazing action choreography. He perfected that with hard, uh, hard boiled later on. And the killer is just sort of like a movie with some really good action scenes that I think is not great as a movie, if that makes sense. So um, I'd love to know like what you guys think, um, either based on you know th- those parameters or where do you come at it with the killer? Uh, well, the the um, these two films like present an interesting study on balance of tone, don't mm-hmm. they? As mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like balance between emotion and logic, right? Uh, if you let one or two get too far off, which uh, I think the underrated film A Bitter Sweet Life does a good job of capturing a nice balance between the two but yeah the 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 thing about the killer is that yeah as part of it is John Woo's like heavy-handed uh emotional approach to the material that's just like this movie's basically a giant hunk of block of like melodramatic cheese that's and like homoeroticism like, that is just oh, so man, it's that, so adorable oh, i that's so, it's so that, funny yeah. That's so one great. of the that's one of the unintentional laughs of the film, definitely. That, that's, and, uh, exactly. That got a lot of laughs at that audience that I saw it in, and I'm not knocking this movie for that. However, I think it did kind of open me up to the idea that like I don't think this movie is aging well. Like Hard Boiled no, played much better to the same audience. I'll say that, and I agreed. I thought Hard Boiled was still like this amazing action film. You know, just a well, film. It was great. Well, my, my annoyances with it are partly like my annoyances with a lot of Hong Kong cinema and uh, sometimes when uh, Western directors like Quentin Tarantino try to emulate that style of like, you know, the approach is basically like you're paying money to be entertained. So we're going to give you everything. We're going to make you cry. We're going to make you like excited and, you know, you're going to have action scenes, but you're going to have like melodramatic storylines. And, you know, it's like a mix of like soap opera and like hardcore really violent and graphic action and it's just like sometimes that mix can be really really annoying because of Mm -hmm. that 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 like constant tonal shifts between like you get these amazing action scenes and you know this happens in in martial arts films that come from the 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 um that period as well especially when it comes to like hong kong films from uh like the 70s and the 80s have that yeah have that kind of like overall tone where we're going to like it's it's Bollywood kind of has this a similar approach. Mm-hmm, In fact, mm-hmm. they 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 on top of the kitchen sink, they add like musical numbers on top of everything else. <laughs> right. And, um, 
you know, so that's that's kind of like Eastern filmmaking that also exists kind of in Turkey as well. Like, you know, there's a, the, the Turkish film history is is full of like the, those kinds of films where it's just like they just throw like absolutely everything at you. And uh, uh, like the, the, with John Woo's like kind of unapologetic approach to emotion and heavy handed religious imagery and uber stylized uh, action, like there, there's there's something charming about how unapologetically cheesy it is <laughs> mm-hmm. uh but at the same time uh you know that yeah that that brings up the issue like you said eric this movie is not aging well uh and other like modern audiences are laughing at it and uh it's it's kind of like it's hard to blame them you know sometimes this stuff like this happens and you're like you know like like um when eric when you first started uh joining the um the podcast, the first episode we did was uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. And the screening mm. that me and Ryan went to was full of people who were just like awkwardly laughing because the, the film was so like intense. And yeah. that that can get really annoying because you're just like, well, you're not you're not really getting it. And you want it to be like a different kind of movie than it actually is. And in this case, it's just like it's, it's if people if you go to a screening of The Killer and people laugh at like the goofy uh melodramatic stuff and the, the premise itself is like is just basically like soap opera father like of totally uh, you know the, the the killer hired killer accidentally blinds this singer and then he feels like beholden to her and even that kind of like obvious um you know criminal with a heart of gold wasn't enough so john woo even has to add a subplot where a little girl gets shot and uh, the killer has to like take the girl to the hospital just in case you didn't get that this guy is a killer but he's a good guy but uh you know like like, there's a lot of stuff like that in this where just like he goes to the the unnecessary extra mile to explain to you uh (laughs) you know the 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 obviousness of the like criminal and the, the the cop being the the two parts of the same coin how similar they are to each other and their work ethic and all that stuff and like all these like issues like these teams that have been in action movies since time immemorial that have been handled in a much more subtle and much more like um much less heavy-handed way you know the first example of course that comes to mind is like heat you know the de niro and the the dynamic between de niro and pacino Mm -hmm. um but in this case it's just like there's like you know, like expositional on the nose dialogue about like how similar these two characters are. And it's just like, it goes back to the way the script was written and maybe, you know, him being like such a stylistic director, maybe he should have hired a screenwriter to polish this stuff up. But then at the same time, (laughs) we're looking at it from modern Western perspective. And Mm -hmm. if we go back in time to like the late eighties and look at it from the perspective of a, of a, uh, native hong kong film goer who just wants to where all the movies that were coming out had this like kitchen sink approach of like various different like over the top tones and that's genres. the thing right imagine if imagine if and i don't know about you guys said, i didn't i didn't see that yeah right i didn't see this movie in, in 1989 but man if i would have this would have blown my mind you oh, know i yeah. good lord like it would have been it would have been insane so th- there's there is stuff to be appreciated in that sense but like um, I feel like Ryan. I'd, I'd what, what, uh, I'd love to know like where you stand with the killer man. Uh, having a chance to watch this uh, in succession with um, both a better tomorrow and a better tomorrow two uh, this week, watching them in sequential order. This movie is sort of a regression, actually. Mm, interesting. Um, I, yeah, I yeah. feel because um, Wu can be a very well is a very melodramatic filmmaker, as Octay has already pointed out. It's it's very heavy on the melodrama. 
but if you have the right emotional core that melodrama can work Mm -hmm. and so a better tomorrow being about two brothers on the other side of the law and like one wanting to give one begging for forgiveness and the other one not giving it you can actually feel that emotion even if it is sort of over the top and Mm -hmm. melodramatic and so that like that is a better version of like the melodrama and then uh watching the second one the second one is uh, a lot bigger in scope uh bigger in story juggling all these storylines um i think has a better grasp of tone and and or at least playing different notes in the same key is kind of what i felt about uh better tomorrow too is that there is melodrama there is like moments of humor that's actually legitimately funny that's played for laps and not like hilarious you know like not because it hasn't aged well but but because the scene was intentionally meant to be funny and it is and it has an amazing shootout at the end which you can point out almost all of tarantino's big set pieces from django and kill bill and uh at least and reservoir dogs in that uh movie but then the killer kind of resorts back to the melodrama of the first better tomorrow but like there's not really any good uh like character connections like things just happen yeah because yeah mm-hmm. like that's the thing things just happen and i thought of uh you you mentioned heat octae i thought of the town a lot actually uh <laughs> yeah that's another one and, and yeah and and not like it, like the, the worst parts of the town right which is like an a, overrated pick right? an overrated yeah, pick yeah. Uh, that you actually also picked eric uh but yeah it which, makes sense yeah yeah which is like not a bad movie but like uh, the cop in this movie reminded me a lot of john ham in that movie where it's like there's weird fascination with this <laughs> villain uh with this uh criminal character that doesn't really make sense other than he kind of admires his work um, right. And then I mean, he, he doesn't. That... He immediately comes to the conclusion that this guy is like a good guy, and he's compassionate, <laughs> and he's immediately. You know, I mean, yeah. he goes to like save the. He goes out of his way to like save the life of a little girl, but then at the same time, he just brutally assassinated this this one dude, and he is a hired killer, and it's your job to like catch killers. Like immediately, he just goes uh, back. He turns his back on his basically his entire training and it feels like for that to happen there should be a little more of a development and it's just i mean that that scene alone is is pretty funny because he's supposed to be giving like the physical description of the killer and he just says these like pretty random things <laughs> that can't really be visualized he's he's just like oh he's a good guy and he's very passionate he's charming the, the, yeah yeah he's charming <laughs> And then the I, I just imagine it's like so a, cut funny. To, a, a quick cut to the like sketch artist going like how the fuck am I supposed to like <laughs> like what is it wh- what color was his eyes like how right. how how big was his head like right. give me shit like that it, it was a that he's was such a weird romantically artwork. he's like obsessed with him in a romantic way like and that's that is that yeah. hilarious like homoeroticism that is unintentional just unintentional bleeding... or maybe intentional I don't maybe know. it uh, is I don't know I guess. I guess when I think of other movies that do that well in the action movie realm that I just appreciate more and maybe it'll help with context, like on my feelings with the killer, like I appreciate point break more and it does similar things where point break is pretty funny at times. Or some people I think will also laugh at it, like, or think it's sort of like bad. So they laugh at point break, but I actually think point breaks a much more subversive 
clever take on a sort of homoerotic action movie. And, and we're, we're, it, not, we're not trying to say that it's bad that it's homoerotic. Exactly. That's actually, exactly. No, actually, no, no, it no, it's been funny. Amazing. It's adorable. I, imagine like a 1989 like Hong Kong movie where it's just like it was made clear that these two characters were in love with each other. That would have right. been great. It would and, right. uh, and if but you think about it, like, it like this. the yeah. female character, the, the, the one who's supposed to be the love interest of Chow Yun-Fat is kind of relegated to the background. Mm-hmm. And John Woo kind of sticks to the relationship between the, the 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 cop and the criminal, these two male characters, and there's even a a moment that like totally belongs in some cheesy romance movie where they like look at each other and smile, mm. and the the screen just like uh, freezes. Yeah. For a second, I don't know if you get you guys remember that moment. Like yeah. it was. Oh yeah, yeah. The freeze frames are hilarious in this movie. They're yes. really yeah. They're, they're in like really so bad spots. Oh man, and they keep coming one after another. It's like John Woo was like, I gotta keep playing that freeze frame card. It's the best. He just keeps doing it. The best card in my deck. Also, another movie for context that you're talking about, like mm. homoeroticism, that's also subversive. We're forgetting about a pretty great movie directed by the same guy, and it's Face Off. Yeah, in that way, with a like much also, better boat action scene than the with, one oh, with the a better too. boat action scene, with a better yeah. like both pointing their phallic shaped well, guns he had in each other's faces. <laughs> well, yeah, he had the budget for it, and that movie is sort of like what I, I mean. Hard Boiled is, I, I would say, his best movie, but I feel it's like Face Off is the movie that like he was building up to because everything like the melodrama, the comedy, the doves, the, the, the gun over the top premise, over the top premise, uh, the, um, the sort of like sins of our fathers and people on the other side of the law. Mm -hmm. Um, and also how subversive that movie is for an American movie, because Mm -hmm. you think 40 minutes in that you're going to spend the movie trying to find a bomb and they defuse it 40 minutes into the movie. And it's great, but it, like, that's sort of like the ultimate, I, I don't know. I feel like that's like the ultimate John Woo movie. So like, mm-hmm. I think the killer is important in context, in the realm of his movies and action cinema, because it's the movie that got him recognized in, at least in the United States, but it is, <laughs> it has not aged well. Right. It, There's it, just these tonal yeah. disparities. Like oh, Octa, I'll let you chime in quick. It's just uh, like, re- like an example of the, just the tonal, the erratic tonal and unintentional humor that comes in this movie is uh, like Ryan pointed out how there's things in better tomorrow or other woo movies that are actually probably much more intentionally funny, but the killer has these moments where, uh, a, a couple, there's like a, a double thing in this one moment where early on Chow Yun Fat is on a job and he's on a boat where he's going to sniper kill this guy and his disguise is some gray streaks in his hair and the worst fake mustache ever. <laughs> so that's like, that's like, okay, he doesn't seem like an elite killer when that's how he dresses up, but okay. And then he totally nails this, his Vic, he hits his job. He hits the guy p- between the eyes, headshot. And 45 seconds later, all the people are screaming, and one of his bodyguards goes, he's okay, he just fainted. <laughs> like, oh, they're, they're, they're trying to, like, avoid a panic. Like, they, right, there's, like, a bit of dialogue where they say that. If but you're it's paying attention, funny. yeah, if you're paying attention amidst the, the panic and you catch killed. it. Yeah, <laughs> like, if you're, if you're, but also if you as a viewer are following the subtitle, even though it's a chaotic scene in that moment, like, it's really easy to maybe miss that that line. That's hilarious, right? Like, and, and there's he, also he fainted, weird... what? <laughs> he just took yeah, a bullet right that's between the eyes. Funny. Yeah. There, there's also, like, this weird little detail where he obviously gets a kill shot in the right. head, and then he keeps shooting him in, like, the shoulder. Right. After the dude is obviously that there's some weird was John. I mean, there's there's some stuff in John Woo films, especially in that period where he's like, did you just like, were you not able to just stop yourself and had to yeah. add like more squibs? 
the final seat, bad guy have, in this movie. Have to have them like go off. Yeah, the final bad guy gets shot. He gets, like, oh man, how many? Times. I think he dies like more times than Danny McBride in Pineapple Express seriously? in this movie. Like <laughs> he seriously, there was there were scenes where there are certain edits during the gunfight at the end in that church where the bad guy, who you know who he is, because he has a white bandage wrapped around his head, where he's getting squibbed out and shot a bunch of times, but then they cut to him and it's like he wasn't shot. So that guy yeah. dies like five times at the end of the movie. So as good he, as he the action is, you can feel, squibs, man. That right, that, he, he doesn't waste squibs. And he embraces the chaos where like characters are dive bo- they're like diving at Chalion Fat while he shoots at him for no other reason than it looks amazing to see cool, them yeah. get shot. Right. But like that's where it still feels like hard boiled is an insane also goofy movie where like but the tone fits. a little Right, exactly. It like doesn't a kid, take itself as seriously. It's not right, as dramatic. Right. A little baby pees on Charlie on Fat's leg to put out a fire. I mean, that's like that movie knows what it's doing in that yeah. moment. Whereas the killer feels like, yeah, a lot of just at times pretty like it you know i'll to reference an earlier choice for me it feels like evil dead whereas hard-boiled is evil dead 2 it's like the thing mm, he practice yeah. run and it's just so much better and more perfected and more embracing of the actual humor well i, I kind of um, agree with brian when he says it's kind of a regression after um yeah. better tomorrow 2 as well because because right. yeah like like he had perfected it with better you know a better tomorrow and i don't know when uh exactly uh what was that movie bullet in the head uh mm-hmm. falls it came his... out between the killer and uh hard boiled which i rented along yeah, with the yeah. other movies but i just did not have the time to yeah, watch ma- it unfortunately. maybe that was like his his uh experiment with like straight melodrama around that time because bullet in the head is also like an overwrought like fucking let's just get on with it like the action <laughs> is fun in that movie uh it's not as good because he tries to it tries his hand at like a war movie. There's like scenes that take place in Vietnam and stuff, which is like not really his playground. So it's a little bit awkward. But the the melodrama in that movie as well is just like it almost surpasses the killer in <laughs> in in sheer cheesiness, and it just like drags on and on. Like the revenge plot of that movie is like it's it's crazy. And uh, maybe he was just like kind of flirting with the these kind of like oh, I'm gonna make like straight dramas with this kind of goofy cartoonish action in them and maybe down the line he was just like fuck it i'm just gonna make like a live action cartoon with um with hard boiled which you know if you're gonna make cartoonish action maybe you know the tone should fit that too and in this case it's just like there are a lot of scenes that are yeah it's it's true that are like unintentionally funny like there's the one scene where um there's one scene that could have easily turned into like you could totally see that in like an SNL digital short or a comedy yes. sketch from the 90s or something where um, I don't know if that you guys think of the same scene, but where Chow Yun-Fat and the cop are holding guns at each other and the blind girl uh, <laughs> doesn't know what's going on. So they pretend that the cop is an old friend and they're kind of, they're like chummy while they're still holding guns at each other. Right. And the blind girl is just like, oh, I'll, I'll make you tea. So while still holding guns at each other, they like walk into the living room. And start waiting for this girl to like go and make tea. They have like guns to their each other's heads and stuff. And that's like a that's a, if if you watch that out of context, that's like a comedy sketch. I mean, um, yeah. uh, Key and Peele actually made a skit like that where it's like two gangbangers are holding guns at each other, and then you see like they get old, like they they, they yeah. become like seventy or 80, 80 years old, and then they're still holding guns at each other after having like a lifetime. I think they get like get married or become life partners or something. <laughs> they're sitting on their rocking chairs in the porch. Yeah, and they're still, still holding the guns at each other, and one of them just like dies of a heart attack. 
And like it, just, it reminds it immediately reminded me of a joke like that. Like it's like this is like a sketch comedy thing, and it's <laughs> there's a lot of like weird stuff in there. But then at the same time, if we start talking about just the action scenes, and when that kicks man, in, there's it's some like, great it's shit like, in this. It's perfect, man. Yes, the gunfights so look great. You know, and the blood splatter, and honestly, the violence is awesome in this movie. The violence is really well done. Like. I, I, if for anybody that appreciates action and violence and like crazy gunfights like that, the killer still has that. And, you know, I think it's fair to say, well, I, I think we'd all agree. Chow Yun-Fat, I mean, our, both our movies that we're discussing have really awesome uh, lead performances from mm-hmm. really yeah. like handsome uh, leading sort of action male lead type uh, performances. Uh, they're, they're both, they're both great. But yeah, Chow Yun-Fat, I mean, you just don't have Chow Yun-Fat. Like that, that image of him with the gun, you know, the glasses and the guns, like that's just so influential uh, to so many movies now that um, mm-hmm. you see why. Even in this movie that has the goofiness, like when it when it needs to get to the gunfights, to the goods, it's usually it delivers on it. Usually it, it wakes you. It wakes you up immediately. Like it's like it's it just you're just like, oh, man, this is like so cheesy and so weird. And then it's almost like John Woo knows. So there's like it's almost every 10 minutes or so there's a big uh, giant gunfight where the same five stunt people get like riddled like with bullets <laughs> and it's uh it's like when that shit kicks in it turns into like like the editing the way it's shot the way it's like choreographed if you i mean of course you have to leave logic behind because then the second you start asking like oh why is that guy waiting there like he's just basically like all the bad guys are basically just waiting to get shot waiting to get shot that's it <laughs> But because um, because you're just like, why? Why is that guy there? There's no reason for him to be there. That's like the worst possible vantage there's, point you could find for yourself. There's also but, a lot of convenient yeah. pauses in the action where like Charlie and Fat gets to mourn over something where it's like people would still be shooting at him. You know, like the yeah, movie does yeah, yeah. that a lot. It does it a lot. So, it, 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 it's stylistic choices. It's cartoonish stylistic choices are what makes the over the top action so much more fun to watch. And it's just like as much as like it's. I'm I'm kind of torn with this movie because as as much as I understand that it has unintentional humor, which that kind of stuff actually makes it kind of entertaining as well. Because it like has a, a charm, right? In a yeah, it, it has that charm where it's just like yeah, you went for it. Like you didn't pull back the the no, ridiculous. It's hard on stuff. its sleeve, man. One hundred percent. Exactly. Like the like the heavy-handed religious Christian imagery and the the doves, of course, and it's you know all the that first stuff movie that, that had the doves in it. Is it his really? first one his... that he really introduced that? I would imagine so because he adopted this. He had been making movies for a decade before uh, A Better Tomorrow, but that was his first action movie. And neither of those movies have uh, doves in it. Uh, this is the first one. And they're not even really used like to the you know ridiculous effect that they are in later movies. It's just like sure. they're, they're in the church, so it kind of makes sense. It's not like the... But underground cave in mission impossible 2 where you're like how the <laughs> fuck did doves get down there there's no they're underground uh, <laughs> in, so, in this yeah. case it, it's you know this like it a, makes sense uh, you know yeah. destroyed church and for doves to get in there or yeah that, like, that, that imagery of like uh you know being pure you know in a church yeah. it, it makes sense i guess yeah, that, i guess we're kinda... oh, go ahead octa i'm sorry oh yeah, yeah i mean yeah i was just gonna say like uh that kind of stuff you know makes sense with the what the context of it? I forgot what I was gonna say. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Well, um, well, I guess, uh, you know, I feel like we're we're hitting a good point where maybe it's soon we can we can transition into the next movie. But 
I guess uh, where the my sort of final thing with the killer is like again, like Octa was kind of saying, I'm torn on this movie too. I, especially on this recent viewing, I did appreciate it more than actually when I saw it in the audi- with an audience in 35 millimeter, which is weird. You think you would appreciate that more, but um, I, I I go back and forth with it. It's a flawed movie with some great action in it, but. Um, I do think if people like the killer or, you know, maybe they're they're they've seen it a lot and they want to see something else. I think our underrated pick will be a, one of those choices, but also the stuff that the killer is based on, you know, or or um, influenced by. I would recommend people go back to Jean-Pierre Melville, who made Le Samurai. And that mm-hmm. is very much what this this is John Woo's, you know, Hong Kong version, version of, of, that, it, yeah, exactly. of that. And Le Samurai is just to me an, an all time masterpiece. And it's great. And it's about this French, you know, hitman played by. Um, I mean, that, that's Anna, an all around legitimately great film. It's it's just unimpeachable. Right. But mm-hmm. that one is a completely different thing. I guess I just like the chili um, more focused on processed elements of um, of but the Melville. action is nowhere near as batshit crazy. No, no, yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not as samurai, much of a, like, samurai almost, blast. Yeah, the samurai doesn't even really have action. I mean, arguably, but yeah. it's got mood and it's visually amazing. But yeah, you're right that you can see what Wu took from that being an influence and how he made it his own because he kind of added the the peck and Paul splatter, the peck and Paul slow mo cutting. You yeah, know? Cut, cutting between regular motion and. Yep. Slow motion, and usually the regular motion shots are from the perpetrator, and the slow motion shot is the victim after he's shot. Right. You know, like so. It's it's, it's it, it goes from like it it goes into that very specific peck and pa style of like showing the the uh, the shooting, the act of the shooting in regular motion in this like really fast paced like uh, whip snap way, yeah. and then cutting to a slow motion of the the aftermath of the violence. Uh, so it's, 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 he definitely like borrows from that a lot. He does, you know, it's, it's, it's a film that you should watch if you just want to have a blast watching straight action. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know, the, the melodramatic stuff is going to get boring and it's going to, it's going to keep you kind of, I feel like the modern, especially modern Western audiences, it's going to keep you kind of entertained because of the, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's sad to say, but because of the unintentional, humor it's that's going to kind of it's, it's going to keep you afloat i feel like it's going it, to it keeps people afloat uh those scenes but then like you know literally every 10 minutes there's an amazing you know shit goes down and then that stuff is like perfectly crazy and in- incredibly fun and just blood spurts out everywhere and squibs <laughs> and double guns and and i love that john woo movies take place in a universe where every killer uses two guns at the same time because there's this which is which is like in the real world that's probably like it's it's like gun experts say that's like or like you know military people and people who have been in shootouts say like that's probably like the the dumbest thing that you can possibly do to like start shooting with two guns right it's uh, harder to aim that way i think yeah it's, it's it's like impossible to aim and your one one hand is going to go one way your other hand is going to go another way sure you looks can't... great on film though it looks, it it looks amazing on they film. also have like 28 cartridges a piece <laughs> in each <laughs> of them it's, true. <laughs> yeah, it's so ridiculous Bullets never run out in john Woo's world they, but I love they, sometimes but rarely do they yeah, but but when, when it runs out it's to it's to like put a break into like every single action has a stylistic reason to exist, not a yeah. logical bullets reason. Bullets run out when it's convenient. For well, the bullets, bullets run out when John Woo feels like, okay, we should have like a 20 second break here. Like it's, <laughs> it's like, it's like a musical in a way. It's like, you're watching like Definitely. this, 
insanely violent ballet. And that's how he approaches it. He approaches this stuff as musicals. He said that many times. He approaches his work as like like opera, like music. And that makes perfect sense because all logic kind of goes out the window. And that's not, that's what makes it so much fun. But I love that like even the detail of like the the universe that these movies take place in, that there's this one little detail that I love in this movie where um Chow Yun's Chow Yun Fat's um assassin friend who sets him up with the deal. His one of his hands is like mangled or like from a previous accident. And he basically quits being an assassin because he can't use he can't shoot with both hands. Like it it like the movie takes place in a world where it's like you have to shoot with both hands in order to become an assassin. Like it's it's so ridiculous. Uh did he did either of you ever play the game Stranglehold, which is his no. uh, sequel to hard boiled in video game form? Oh <laughs> no. I didn't even know this existed. It's like so a PS2 game, isn't it? Yeah, it was yeah, 20, 2007, I think. So it was, it was PS3 and uh, Xbox 360. And uh, it gets repetitive, and it's like a fairly short campaign. But it's for a while, it's it's a lot of fun because you're actually, you know, performing these iconic sequences that you've seen in John Woo movies. So it's it's nice. it's fun for, you know, an hour, <laughs> and then it gets repetitive after that. Sounds like, kinda like the movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it is kind of like the movie. And like Octay said, it's... It is a blast, like for the the violence, but it is. But I'm also conflicted because of the two Better Tomorrow films and Hard Boiled and Face Off. I'd say um, it's hard to really recommend it when there are better iterations of sort of the same thing. About paycheck, yo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have Have you guys seen Wind Red Talkers, Red? bitches? I, I actually stopped <laughs> after MI2. I haven't seen so did I. or. Uh, Wind Talkers, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't see Red Cliff like either. Can. The the epic he made a couple years ago. It's supposed to be really good, and it's, it's on Hulu Plus. Fuck man, is yeah, it? I watched it. It's 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 yeah, it's really boring. And he went the uh, kind of epic uh, like sword fighting kind of route, and we that's should. not his. That's not his bag. So it's it's not it's, his forte. <laughs> yeah, it's it's boring, and it's it's very, it it really it's very sparse with the action. So I think I think that's like his like I'm becoming a senior citizen movie. <laughs> it's his Lincoln. Yeah, he, he tries. To do like late, yeah, exactly. He tries to do like late era Kurosawa kind of thing, and it's just it's it's yeah. If you well, watch that... it as like a mini series, the way it was like kind of cut, I guess originally, or I guess it was split into like two parts, then that might be like interesting. But yeah, I don't know. It was uh, I was like really bored and underwhelmed by it. No, that's too bad. I would say our I next. Our, movie, I would say our know. next movie is uh, a young man's movie. Ryan, I beat you to the, uh, you to did, the segue. God Ryan, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say this is a movie that we were not bored with uh, or underwhelmed mm. by, um, and it's Kim Ji Woo's A Bittersweet Life. 죄송합니다. 영업 시간이 끝났습니다. 셋일 동안 모두 자리에서 일어서서 나가 주십시오. 하나. 둘셋 um, which is the film he did it's not not his first film but it is it's it's 
underrated, as Eric said. It's was made between Tale of Two Sisters and The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yes. Okay. And um, so why did you pick this as an underrated? I, I feel like it's fairly simple. Um, uh, it's hard to see this movie, for one. Um, and really, a lot of wanting to do A Bittersweet Life as an underrated is that not enough people have even really had a fair chance at seeing it. Uh, Ryan, you were able to rent it at uh, Scarecrow Video up in Seattle. It's a massive, like, uh, kind of like globally known video store. So you found a copy on DVD there, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. We're still, still spoiled to live in a part of the country that actually has a video store. Right. So it's like that's uh, there's one there's a copy on DVD at a cool video store here in Portland where I live too, um, uh, a place called Movie Madness. They have a copy of A Better Sweet Life on DVD, but really it was not really released in the U.S. ever. Um, even though it came out the same year as old boy, uh, it really like an old boy got a lot more attention played in competition at can that same year, which was, I believe it was 2005 when they both played at the festival, but a bittersweet life, which is another South Korean film, uh, like old boy, uh, just didn't get, got overshadowed in terms of us, uh, attention and even availability accessibility. So, um, you can find this movie if you work hard enough for it. But really, I think first and foremost, like this movie, this is kind of a plea. Like, why is there no region like a Blu-ray of this movie? And more than anything, it's I'm surprised iTunes or Amazon or Hulu Plus, like nobody is streaming this right now. Because yeah, you, you can't even rent it. Streaming. Exactly. It's yeah. ridiculous. It should Weird. be made more easy so that if we, you know, if anything, we help push the ball a little further <laughs> at all with this podcast would is if there's any attention to put on this movie that could help it like that's that's a that'd be great because it should be made easier to see. Uh, Kim Ji-woon's other films are all readily available. The Good, the Bad and the Weird. Got, it's got still on release, Netflix, yeah. which is a blast. It's it's uh, and it's a lot of fun. And then I saw the devil, which um, actually is a fun movie to kind of kind of talk about in comparison with a bittersweet life in that um, it stars his same star of this film, Lee Byung Hung, who is like, um, man, this movie doesn't really have the homoeroticism that the killer does or few movies do really. But uh, this is one handsome uh, leading man. I got to say, you know, oh, like, yeah. This guy is a movie and this, star. This dude has like that intense energy. He does. That really comes across the screen, especially he in does. this movie. And you can see why Kim Ji-woon has made him his like sort of Robert De Niro to his Scorsese. Like he's in The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. He plays the bad. He's an evil, scary dude in that. And then in I Saw the Devil, he's the hero who does really awful things. So he gets to play sort of both spectrums in that Does one. he at least have like a cameo in The Last Stand? I I feel uh, like I, maybe he's a cop or something. I don't know. He might. I don't maybe remember not. well don't enough. Remember but of course, Last Stand is the last movie by Kim Ji-woon. And that was his, you know, that was Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed to kind of bring him back into the, the limelight. Didn't totally work. It's it's a bit of harmless fun. It's probably the yeah, least. That, that movie's fucking fun. It's, it's, it's stupid, fun, but, but it's, it's the it least successful like of these Korean, the Korean new wave directors Moving to uh, of their, of their yep. English language debuts, you know, like old boy director. Uh, Although I'm not a fan of Stoker at all. So well, I think, okay, fair enough. I get that Stoker, I think reaches for more than the last stand and it might oh, yeah. miss a lot, but, um, and then Bong Joon-ho had, you know, snow. Oh, yeah. So like the, his oh, other, you know, countrymen who've, who've also got attention from this recent, like last 10 or 15 years of South Korean cinema, like Kim Ji Woon did, he did fine with the Last Stand, but really, I think A Bittersweet Life is um, is his best film. I think all all told, that or I Saw the Devil. It's hard to say; they're both great, but um, A Bittersweet Life compared to Old Boy, which got a lot more of the attention this in this year when it came out, 
um, is a really interesting case of like just showing the the real like what the Koreans were and still do well in terms of their kind of cinema with, with genre movies. And it's, it's balancing a wide array of tones and able to go back and forth from scene to scene from just also bizarre sort of broad humor to really cartoon graphic novel, like kill bill, like violence splatter. Mm -hmm. Right. And I like the way it's handled more in this movie. I like the slickness of this movie more and the, flat out like this movie is more honed and refined than the killer but other than that i don't think it really needs to be compared to the killer other than i just like this kind of movie better like this is more my style and it's a bit goofy at times but yet i think the tonal disparity is handled really well by kim ji-woon and it is in most of his movies but also um this is just a really great like live action cartoon action movie really um uh it's kind of a mouthful to say but um, I believe both of you guys had not seen this film until now, so I'd love to. No. I'd really love to know what you think, and maybe let's uh, let's go to Ryan because I feel like I feel like me and Octa are talking a lot this episode. Ryan, what did what did you get? What did you think of Bittersweet Life? Oh no, talk away! I'm, my brain's fried, man. But uh, <laughs> I I just finished watching this movie uh, literally right before we started recording. Um, it's never easy. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 not easy, but uh, I I liked it. I I really liked the movies sensibility i liked how uh like you said it's 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 more fine-tuned than the killer the the motivation for said revenge actually you know it will not i mean it makes sense it completely makes sense there's a good reason for the characters doing everything it is you know you could maybe look at the surface or like describe the um like the imdb log line of the movie to somebody and they might think, uh, okay, like I know where that movie's going, or it's just mm-hmm. another revenge movie, and and maybe it is, but it's done so in a way that is uh, like really, I, I think like harrowing. Like the 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 uh, the images that this movie presents are, you know, remind me of Old Boy, like the ones that just will not leave your Hall- head. Um, hallway fights. <laughs> yeah, hallway hallway fights. I mean, they're they're shallow graves in this movie is the uh, one yeah, yeah. that comes to my mind korean action filmmakers love their 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 uh narrow hallways they do they, they love they their narrow hallways the scene, uh, yeah. but they do it so well and kim ji-woon does it incredibly well in this movie um and i think lee byung-hung is a like terrific actor and he's even in the states has been a really good actor in some pretty bad movies um i wish he'd get a better showcase but uh yeah was uh, he in gi joe he was in gi joe he was in red too which for the most part was pretty Uh, terrible but he uh he was really like he was the one part of it that like was pretty humorous actually like he he you know did better for me than john malkovich in that movie which Mm, i think was the more comedic relief character and even even um, his like brief bit in um in Terminator Jenny's Gen Weiss's, <laughs> whatever the fuck that piece of shit was called, uh, where where he's basically Robert Patrick, like Asian Asian Robert Patrick, and um, he doesn't say a word, and he does the same kind of like intense T one thousand crap but even then like his presence is like you notice it exactly presence that's exactly why he's like good in that role that you're like well the writing and directing decision this is stupid uh but like he owns that role and he's gonna be you know speaking of good the bad and the weird he's gonna be in the magnificent seven remake that comes out in september right. so you know I, I hope that turns out well i have my doubts about that but uh <laughs> fuqua fuqua equal uh <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, overall, I like I said, I'm dead. my my brain's fried. I just finished watching this movie, but I was I was a big fan of it. And you know, I've seen I saw the Devil a couple times. I don't know if I could put it ahead of that just on this sole viewing. But uh, well, well, it depends the, on when when you're recommending movies to people, and they're like, oh, I want to see a movie by this director. Like if they're in the mood for like an intense, like really fucked up thriller. Yeah, I would say I saw the devil. If they're in the mood for like for more fun, a, yeah, more fun, but like in a in a kind of semi serious way. That's right. that still has a bit of intensity. That still has a bit of soul. It's a bit mm-hmm. more like a subdued, like moody film. And the title's that, perfect, is it not? Yeah, I mean, the is, way that it, it sort of blends that like goopy humor. Oh, yeah. With the cruel, you know, the, the cruel joke of fate in this movie, or like, not—it's one of those movies where it might frustrate people because none of it has to happen. But it's like that's the cruel joke of the movie, you know? Is the title is very appropriate, yeah. And and it says some interesting things about loyalty, and it's uh, mm-hmm, about like mm-hmm. the uh, the bonds between men and how um, a patriarchal society always like guards their innermost emotions uh because this whole movie like the whole co- uh, the conflict between you know the, the movie is about I mean, it's not a very well-known film so you know we don't yeah, usually we do like the whole like plot uh thing and that, that a lot of review podcasts do but like in this case it's like not a lot of people have probably heard about it but the, yeah, the main should. story is basically about like this mob enforcer who uh kind of falls in love with his the, the mob boss's girlfriend and uh when he finds out that the girl is kind of sleeping around with another guy or in love with another guy, he doesn't call the mob boss to like inform on her because he knows that the girl's probably going to get killed. And then the mob boss finds out about it and basically like orders a hit on him. And then he ends up like getting away from the head and like goes after the mob boss basically. And the third act turns into, you know, it's like the, the last half of the film is like the, the revenge story. It's, it's a very simple, like, kind of uh shoestring plot to to tie at in least, at least these, the like, a plot you know right yeah. don't you think because there's a lot of subplots in this movie and there's a lot yeah. of side side characters that um there's maybe at times, of depth in this movie. right right and yeah. there's these side characters and subplots threaten to at times maybe take the movie away from its sort of thrust you know like the narrative the simple revenge narrative that is at its heart and the sort of um, you described it to me. I, I like to describe people that it's like the plot line with John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. Like Lee Byung Hung is given the the job by his boss, a gangster boss, like a crime boss, to watch this woman that he admires, and it plays out much differently than that story in Pulp Fiction. Basically, this would be like what hap- what would happen to John Travolta in Pulp Fiction if Uma Thurman would have died. You know that that yeah. would be a similar sort of like what what kind of often awful uh, awful like consequences could happen but in this movie yeah it spirals out in this crazy way and the subplots add more characters to the mix and add to a very wonderful sort of uh uh leone sergio leone-esque finale so yeah i I really dig the uh the leone influence and i think he did a really good job of like implementing that that editing technique of the the suspense like really getting to its like breaking point and then the violence erupts and it it happens really fast i mean there are a couple of like you know kind of drawn out in a good way uh action set pieces in this movie but the the stuff that's like the most impressive is the is when when he kind of adapts that you know of course he did that in good the bad and the weird and that's of course a straight up the even the title is a nod to leone and um but but yeah he's the, the stuff that like sticks with me the most is when there's this like really cool uh raising of tension 
and then just blows up in violence. The first action scene, which, you know, no guns go off, which is basically the mob enforcer, the protagonist, like, beats the shit out of these three guys who are just, mm-hmm. like, being disrespectful to him. And uh, that the, the buildup of that, because you don't really know who this guy is. You don't know how badass he is. And then there's this, like, there's like brilliant little um, uh, way that the it, it just it just starts ra- ra- rising where um, he says, like, you know, I'm going to cut you count three uh, and if you haven't yeah. left i'm fuck you up and then and then his henchman like it's just like basically counting by finger like one two three and you're like oh shit what's gonna happen and then of course there's like this amazingly well choreographed fight scene that's like way over the top and it ends with him finding a bottle on the ground pulling it with his feet like kicking it up to his hand with his feet and like <laughs> smashing the fucking guy's face with so the good. with the bottle, and then you know you, you you watch that scene, which happens like two minutes into the movie, and then from that moment on, I'm just like I'm I'm sold. I'm you know I'm there. Yeah, and then the the first half of the rest of the first half of the movie is a much more drawn out, subdued sort of, uh, like it's it's this attraction he's having with this woman, but also the sort of vacuous empty existence that the character leads much like um the lead character of the killer or la samurai you know that's another similarity i saw in the movies but man when you get the revenge plot line when he is buried basically everything in this movie after he is buried alive and comes out of the dirt is amazing like to me the second like i was writing notes as i was watching it today and i just wrote Second half of this movie, wow. Like, it's just Yeah, it turns into a straight-up genre exercise, doesn't it? it, it um, well, when it really becomes there's, there's a true... plot in the first half. It's the reverse there Kill is. <laughs> Exactly, right? And then the revenge hits, and it's just insane, and it never really stops. The, the soundtrack in this movie is so awesome and, like, changes its, like, st- uh, style throughout scene to scene in a really, like, effective way. But to me, there are two action scenes in this movie, or two scenes that I think are like all time greats for like a genre movie of like, you know, let's just say from 2000 on, I would put these high up in a list and it's, there's one that's played out like a, almost like a Hitchcockian like level tension where the two guys, he's buying a gun from, from a character Mm -hmm. and they dismantle the guns. And as he's waiting for a call, the guy that he's buying guns from, uh, to see if he checks out, he knows he's screwed. If they, if the boss picks up the phone and tells him, you know, tells the other guy that like, Hey, yeah. don't trust they him. They start putting the guns. guns together at the same exactly. time. Exactly. That and is an amazing puts the gun action scene together. First is going to be first. able to like, shoot the other dude. That's, that's exactly. a great You've... premise. To oh, and it's there. set up, right? That, that whole, it's like a little story in itself, right? It's set up. They dismantle it. They do it again. And then you're off to the races. And then the movie explodes in this kind of violence that, just hits hits and then it hits really quick and then what I love about a bittersweet life a lot more than the killer as well is that it constantly leaves me wanting more in a good way where yeah. the other great action scene in this movie stops what feels like halfway through it but it stops on a great sort of uh, uh, a great line and it's the when he escapes from the dirt and the I'm sure you guys liked this scene I mean I, I have to assume but let me know if you disagree. But when he emerges and he fights back with like lit up wood panels and it's like mm-hmm. in a hallway it's, and he have, ends up getting in a car and there's this buildup of this like synth music and then it breaks out into like, I don't know, like Italian sort of Morricone sped up music. Mm-hmm. That that action scene is incredible. And you're seeing camera angles where like a camera strapped to Lee Byung-Hong's like neck 
and he's ninja kicking mm-hmm. guys, and then he's in a car, and guys are getting smashed against walls. Like all this stuff looks real. Like that was like a third working. third person shooter uh, kind oh, of angle, so and it looked. It, it, whenever it cut to that, it made me feel yeah. like I wish like it probably wasn't feasible because of the budget or the technical limitations. But it made me feel like man, I wish this this whole sequence. What what would it look like if it was from the like a single shot from that angle? Oh man, thing. right. You, it really leaves cool. you wanting more, and maybe maybe there could have with more budget it could have been more impressive but more budget it might have been or more time it might have been more safe and i don't know man the action scene and that one in particular when he escapes that is that doesn't look safe it looks like guys are really getting hurt oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it. i love about they, uh, a lot of yeah. agents come on that happens in the killer oh, as they well. sell it. it's like mm-hmm. no regulations like I'm a, I'm a fan of like i'm a libertarian when it comes to uh to action like less regulations the better <laughs> Right, right. Because in Hong and, Kong, they're just like, you know, hey, you, you want to just like jump off a cliff and like whatever. Like we don't have unions. Just fucking do it. <laughs> and you you feel it. And it really works. A Bittersweet Life is just another reminder of that. But it it's it's more than anything. It was just like this was the era when you could see why South Korean cinema was emerging because this came out the same year as Old Boy, as I said. And you have a completely wild, different kind of melodramatic, heightened comic book universe with Old Boy and Choi Min Six lead performance, and that is another like great one. I would say for that year in cinema, these are probably my two favorite performances and two of my favorite movies from that year: are Old Boy and A Bittersweet Life. And I just think you can see why they became it emerged and people were paying attention. But um, sadly, A Bittersweet Life just it hasn't been seen and isn't known like Old mm. Boy. But it deserves to be because yeah. um, even as I'm thinking about it as we're talking and Ryan kind of said this, I, I think I have to agree. I saw The Devil is like an amazing accomplishment. It's got thematic ambition, whereas A Bittersweet Life is just kind of it does comment on sort of it has a bit of that. Mythos. It has the, the Buddhist yeah. parables that. Uh, right, that bookend right. the story and and crime like genre tropes it's sort of it's playing with that a little bit but really it's just an exercise and it gives you a sort of really drawn out taxi driver finale but much more um it's a lot less troubling than taxi driver you want lee byung hung to destroy these guys but the the way the ripple effects of violence and revenge is also shown in this movie and that's where um, it's a sort of the cycle continues. I mean, drawn it's, out. It straight up turns into a Shakespearean tragedy at the end. Right, right. And it yeah. plays it out like that with the score, the very, mm-hmm. you know, string heavy score is very beautiful. And I actually just like how that is played over slow-mo images. It just, it's a lot less cheesy in this movie than The Killer. But I wonder if 30 years from now, maybe maybe we'll be thinking A Bittersweet Life is cheesy and another awesome, like, um, Asian director from some part of the, you know, that world will emerge as an exciting mm-hmm. action talent. But, um, without, without the killer, you know, it's influence is the reason we get something like a bittersweet life. John Woo is the reason we get really cool stuff like the raid. And, you know, I'll even go to bat for the raid too. Like that movie has some amazing stuff from it. Like mm-hmm. that Gareth Evans, the director of those movies, like he's influenced by guys like Kim Ji Woon and even further back, John Woo. And I love I love the ripple effect there, you know, the the influence of the, all these movies. And it's why, ultimately, man, it was so fun to just watch both these movies today. But mm-hmm. I still, I still, um, you know, Bittersweet Life, maybe maybe I take it back already. It's maybe not Kim Ji-Woon's best, but it's one that I think people need to see. It's, well, it's, it's, such it's an more awesome of a complete film. package. It, it works on, right. on many levels apart from, like, the action works really well, but the other stuff works really well as well. And, um... I have a, I have a theory, and I want to know what you think about this, Ryan, as well. Um, I have a theory about why you, Eric, you know, really kind of respond to this film on top of a lot of other like similar 
uh, revenge fantasies, and it's it's because I I got like a pretty strong uh, Nicholas Winding Refn vibe Definitely. from from this movie. It has the same kind of like undercurrent of, of insanity, and yeah, the slickness, the use of like just uh, colors in your face. Uh, the, the, the nihilism, silent, yeah, nihilism, silent, yeah, exactly. The protagonist, especially, like the yep, the intense, yep. silent, subdued protagonist, where you where you just feel all this, like all these emotions, just like bubbling under. And I feel I like think... this is one of the movies that Refn was riffing off of with Only God Forgives. It's why yeah. I appreciated that movie so much because I really do like movies like like this, like A Bittersweet Life and Thai genre cinema. That's that's what I liked. But it, you know, that's specific context. And did you did you see that Ryan? Like, did you see that like connection? That I, might I see why. it, but I, but also it's like you know him and me both because I also will go to bat for Only God Forgives any day. So I I I think that helped me appreciate it more. And it's um uh, you know I think Eric you said something about Taxi Driver finale, and I might be getting you know a little off topic. But the one thing I I did write down that I wanted to mention is like at the uh, start of the movie. Actually reminded me a lot of Mean Streets, uh, to be yeah. honest. In terms of like early Scorsese, the the lead character reminded me a lot of Harvey Keitel in that movie, and the sort of rival, like spoiled brat gangster, you know, to a degree was in the De Niro ish position. Right, right. Uh, you know, reminded me a lot of that dynamic. And also, I didn't know much about this movie going in, and so I thought this was like going to be more a Scorsese esque crime drama. And I I should have known, given uh, Kim Ji Woon's other work, that it was gonna pull the rug out from under me about halfway through and become a straight genre movie. But at first I was like, this is really, this is really different. And he is like tapping into other tapping into different sort of cinematic influences. And Scorsese was like a big one uh, for me uh, in this movie. So I thought that was pretty cool too. Well, in those influences, there's a circularity to all that because, you know, Scorsese influenced guys like that, right? Like definitely, definitely John Woo and definitely this bittersweet life, uh, a bittersweet life for Kim Ji Woon. But Scorsese was then influenced himself and made his version of this kind of Asian cinema with The Departed, right? Yeah, he, Infernal he adapted it. Yeah. Exactly. It really does. And you honestly, uh, there's a scene in The Departed where Jack Nicholson wears a goofy, or several scenes where he wears a goofy kind of like sun fisherman's hat. And I always wondered what's that about. And I think like you see a character like that in a bittersweet life in other Asian action cinema. Guys will wear it. Do you know the hat I'm talking about, you guys? It's yeah, got like it's a like, rim yeah. around it. Absolutely, yeah, it's the one he's that, wearing when he meets uh, Matt Damon in the theater exactly. and has the dildo in the porn theater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the influence just continues, and that I really like that, and it's uh, it's it's cool to see it carry through movies. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I I really like the uh, the patriarchal male dynamic and what it says about that in the movie as well. Like, mm. uh, and I think the um, I don't know what you guys think about the the Buddhist um, parables that bookend Definitely. the film. Uh, but but there's that there's like this kind of like like you mentioned Eric like it's a tragedy because tragedies are stories where horrible things happen that are are completely avoidable if uh, a person made a very simple decision at some point or if someone you know it's just like it's that that's that's the point of a tragedy and um, a lot of that happens here but it doesn't happen in a way that's very obvious and it, it I, I like the depth that it puts on that kind of uh, tragedy structure where um where you know that the mob boss orders the hit on the enforcer the, the protagonist and before he orders the hit he basically like asks him what's the real reason you didn't call me 
and the the, the 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 enforcer basically like gives us like the bullshit response of you know like oh i thought it was the best thing for everybody involved or whatever but it's like the mob boss wants him to say because i fell in love with your girlfriend yep. that's that's all he, he wants, wants to, to know. say and he wants to know he just wants to know that and he refused to say it and then the, there's a callback to that at the very end of the movie where the same kind of thing happens and it's just like these these men who live by a code who cannot expose themselves emotionally even in the face of uh in the face of that so it's it says it says like really interesting things about that that kind of um patriarchal especially like when you move into the mob and the crime world where everything is about your your image your honor you you can't right. show any kind of weakness so it, it says something really interesting about that it's like you're you're your uh, refusal to show any kind of weakness kind of becomes your weakness. That's the thing that kind of undoes the characters in the film. Uh, so, so I, so I wanted to ask you guys about that, and I wanted to basically flat out ask you, like, what do you think? Like, I have my ideas, but like, what do you think the 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 two Buddhist parables that bookend the film? What do you, how do you think they connect to the rest of the, the the story? To me, that's where I find the the tragedy in the movie. You know, like those beautiful. I can't think of them. You know, not definitely not word for word, but uh, the quotes that are used. Uh, you know, over the opening image and the closing well, image. The, the first one is basically like your heart. It's not the wind that moves the tree. It's your heart that does it. And the, the last one is like the, the, uh, the disciple is crying because the dream was so good that he realizes that he will never have that in real life. So that's like the gist and, of the two stories, basically. And what, yeah, okay, thank you. Um, and, um, and what I love about that is that it, it adds to the title as well, A Bittersweet Life, that it's like, here's this guy that did everything you're supposed to do, where he was elite, and he was almost a robot, but he was so efficient and so good at his job as being the sort of right-hand man, tough guy for the boss. It's it's established very clearly and very effectively and quickly in the beginning of this movie that Lee Byung-hung is like the man, you know, and there's a reason the boss likes him. It's established very well in the dynamic and the rub rub off that has on other characters who resent Lee Byung-hung adds to the dynamic of of when the movie spirals out of control. But I do think it's that tragedy right there is that this guy, he it uses the word disciple in that quote at the end, Octa, you said it like he is the disciple to this guy yet. And he did everything he was supposed to. And he still gets screwed because of this guy's own personal morality or that his boss essentially can't admit that he has no chance with this woman that he desires. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's the patriarchy I think you're getting at as well, Octe. And mm-hmm. I think it's weaved in there quite effectively actually. And um, as I think some people could watch a bittersweet life and find it hollow, or it's just a revenge movie, just an action movie. But I think you're getting to a lot of the other subtextual, possibly more subtler elements there. Octa. Yeah. I mean, he Absolutely. doesn't beat you over the head with those themes and that's why it works. Uh, it's the exact opposite of what the killer does, but yeah, yeah Ryan, it, what, it, what it, it, right. They are oh, sorry. in contrast oh. to each other. Go ahead, Ryan, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, that, that ideal of, you know, that idea of Buddhist Buddhism, um, you know, ties in the movie because an ideal of Buddhism is that there's a reason for the suffering. So even though none of the things in the movie had to happen, as Eric already pointed out, there's a more spiritual reason as to why these things are happening to him so that he can achieve peace. And well, so and that, that he could know. he could experience like what it's loved, what it's like to have affection for something, not just be 
you know, he's, he's a robot, you know, like yeah. he has no real existence in this movie other than fucking people up and taking care of that club. It, well, yeah, you see has... during the title sequence of the movie, sorry to cut right. you off, but like you see no, when no. the title pops up and he is, you know, the two mirroring, you know, I, I don't want to spoil actually anything, but, uh, but the beginning of the movie, he's like looking out at the city, just kind of looking out. And it's out beautifully mirrored at the end. Yeah. yeah like the end where, the... and then he's shadow boxing. They just return they return to him in a very poetic final image that uh, if you're a person that takes things literally, you might get hung up or confused, but I think it's just a poetic sort of final note that does touch on that opening image and is, is really also does the thing that this movie does so well as like the camera kind of ogles Lee Byung hung. Like it, the camera loves this guy. And I think it's partially Kim Ji Woon didn't want to let that go at the end, but it's kind of beautiful. And uh, yeah, there is a sort of, like a hopefulness to this movie or hopelessness, right? Like, or a nihilism to it. But that's the thing that puts it in contrast to the killer where the killer is sort of adorably goofy, but it's kind of weird to have that juxtaposed with graphic, Mm -hmm. the same kind of graphic violence and action that you get in a bittersweet life. Whereas a bittersweet life also shows the consequences to the violence and makes it very stylized and blood gushing and, and like cool looking, but it also shows you like, yeah, it's pretty awful when everybody's like it, a bittersweet life is able to give you the thrills in the action, but also have a, an attempt at seriousness and mm-hmm. like a sort of consequence. Whereas the killer is a sort of goofy, like finds an optimism, but that's weird when there are killers that the, the character is killing people left and right. So there's this, like, it's more true to me with a bittersweet life. And that's something I find in Reffin's work as well to actually make another connection. So yeah, that opening it's, it's, shot uh, too with the title. Yeah. You know, oh, lot, yeah. Like mm-hmm. the driver looking out the window. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. There's, yep. a lot of, there's a lot of Reffin in this movie. I don't know if like, if, if someone, you know, uh, interviewing him would ask him like, if he had heard of this movie or if he was influenced by it, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he was mm-hmm. like a big fan of it. If he wasn't, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I would be surprised if he wasn't a big fan of it and uh yeah it's 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 nihilism but in a way it's like it's like spiritual nihilism which is as much of an oxymoron as you can find but it's like if you try to wrap your mind around that it makes it really interesting that there is a there is a uh like a deliberate order to the tragedy so it's 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 interesting it's it's definitely like it's a straight genre exercise it works on that end but it has like themes that are interesting as well it's not just like uh, you know, like the killer, it's like, oh, let's let's run out the clock until the next action scene happens. <laughs> right, right. It does feel like that more with the killer, whereas a bittersweet life. I think I'm really glad you pointed you pointed that angle out, Octave, the Buddhist angle, because I didn't necessarily have that attachment to it. But I, as soon as you said, I was like, oh yeah, of course, that's very much there, and it's and it's it's interesting in that spiritual the way it tries to use a spiritual sort of undercurrent in a bittersweet life to just sort of point out the folly of a life like this like it's another thing that has been told before and in the crime genre it's typical in a way and so is a revenge narrative like this but when it's done this well with this much like flash and like pizzazz that's the thing about Kim Ji-woon is he doesn't have a specific auteur style in the same way that like Bong Joon-ho does or um, Park Chan-wook or even some of the other um, maybe lesser known South Korean uh, directors uh, like Kim Ki-duk is another one he makes a little more extreme weird stuff but um, mm-hmm. Hong Sang-so is like the Woody Allen of South Korea these directors all have a sort of stamp a style that's very recognizable right away Kim Ji-woon is more of like an everyman that sort of seems to be 
maybe more like a Scorsese type where he does things flashy and style stylized camera work. That's maybe a signature, but um, he wants to do sort of every kind of movie. And that's, that's been happening so far. I mean, everything has action in it, but he's trying different genres. I think it makes him an exciting filmmaker from this country. And I, um, I hope the last stand didn't, didn't hurt him too much because it was kind of a not a bomb, but it really underperformed from what yeah, I it was, it was it was a bomb, yeah. It's sad. It was sad, yeah, that's true. Um it, I don't think it was super expensive, but I should I should look close more closely at that. But I yeah, like, I hope it, I I hope it was a big comeback. I feel like yeah. the blame, you know, of that movie would go more to um uh, just like you know, Schwarzenegger, I guess, you know, yeah. for some reason. because uh, he's right. easier. Yeah, it made forty eight million worldwide on a budget of forty five million, twelve million domestic. Yeah. And of so, course, they had to yeah. market it. Yikes! That's bad in the U.S. That's that that bad. was pretty surprising. How nobody cared about that movie in the states. But uh, I hope it doesn't hurt Kim Ji Woon. I'm I'm not sure what he has coming next. But uh, you know, Park Chan Wook had a new movie at Cannes this year, The Handmaiden, and it got some really exciting, like divisive reviews. So you know, it, it still continues from South Korea, even though a lot of these directors are venturing into the English language. Um, we'll we'll see what what Kim Ji Woon does next because uh, he's he's one of the good ones. I really like his stuff. Yep. Yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that wraps up episode 49 now of Over Under Got it. Wow. Yeah. 49. We're almost at 50, guys. That's pretty. That's that's a that's a good uh, it's a good benchmark. I'd say that's a good. Uh, we'll have to celebrate. To yeah. It'll yeah. Have to, we'll it'll have, have to, to be celebrate. special. As always, you can find us on the playlist now at theplaylist.net. Uh, you can subscribe to our uh our iTunes or SoundCloud feed or however you listen to the podcast. I guess not. However, we're just on SoundCloud and iTunes, uh, but please subscribe <laughs> Those to are us. Your choices. <laughs> uh, subscribe to the playlist podcast network where you'll get ours and you'll get the playlist podcast as well as Eric's other podcast. Suggest your tracking. Um, and leave us a rating if you would like. Uh, and as always, yes. you can follow us on Twitter at over under movies and you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash over under movies. <laughs> oh, uh, we do have let's to do the, uh, yeah, let's, we let's have to tease the, some movies uh, out. Tease the movies, yeah. Uh, so they're going to be my picks and, uh, there will be more, more guns and more blood, uh, as there was this yes. week. Yeah. Uh, uh, not necessarily in quantity, but just, you know, there will be more movies like well, that. Well, the podcast um, is a sausage fest, so it makes sense. It makes complete <laughs> and utter sense. So, uh, so for the underrated movie, um, in honor of The Nice Guys, a film that we were all pretty big fans of, I think it's pretty safe to say, uh, the newest film by Shane Black, uh, as an underrated, we're going to be doing 1991's The Last Boy Scout, which was written by Shane Black, uh, directed by the late Tony Scott, which I didn't realize when I made the pick, or I just kind of forgot, but that's this will sort of be my roundabout way of making it up to Ridley Scott for picking a bunch of overrated movies of his <laughs> by, by championing a, a pretty good action movie that his brother made. And the overrated is going to be bad boys. Michael Bay's directorial debut from 1995. Uh, we'll get it into it in the episode, but it's, it's not a movie I hate, but it's a movie that I go, why this movie? I hate the sequel so much. <laughs> we, we can we can get into that. We can. We, get we're we're going to get into that. <laughs> we're definitely going to be getting into that. But I'll just leave that for now. We're 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 diving into two buddy cop movies, and it makes sense given the nice guys is out and is a you know buddy cop sort of dynamic. And uh, final plug: go see the nice guys. Uh, oh yeah, that yeah. was fucking funny. So yeah, that's that's my public service announcement for this episode. But I think it's a good place to wrap up. And uh, signing off is Ryan Oliver. I'm a contributor here at the playlist, and I do another podcast called Unspooled Real.
Hey, this is Octavia Kozak. I'm a film critic and contributor to the Oregon Herald, uh, the playlist, DVD Talk, and BayasParada.com. Hey, I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm the podcast editor over at The Playlist. I write there as well. I also write for Oregon Arts Watch, and my other podcast is Adjust Your Tracking. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.